The following program contains important but graphic material. These topics are designed to foster discussion, but may be objectionable to some. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This program is a training program on human trafficking, sextortion, social media exploitation, and child pornography based on actual cases. Our mission is to eradicate human exploitation and bring predators to justice. Now, here is the host of the program, Opal Singleton. Well, hello and welcome to Crimes Against Humanity. This show is all about exploitation, and this is going to be a crazy and amazing show today. I am really, really excited about it. We're going to have a guest join us, Dr. Skip Lanford, and he's from your Belinda Friends Church, and he's a personal friend of mine. And he and his wife just came back from overseas, and they went through many of the refugee camps. And so he's going to tell us firsthand what he saw. Before we get started in this, I just want to kind of, first of all, say thank you to several people who just made my week amazing. I spent some time this week with the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, it was actually the La Sierra University and Dr. Uh, I always blow this, <laughs> Ginger Keating Weller. I, I just know her as Ginger. Anyway, she put together a, a seminar for throughout Southern California, but they live streamed it around the world. And I find that very, very exciting because, as you will see, I am absolutely passionate about what is happening here around the globe in human trafficking and what we can do about it. We cannot sit here, especially in Southern California, with all the wonderful things that we have in our life and pretend this is not happening. But how do you reach the world as I try to work through this? And so they set up that seminar, and it was really a wonderful experience. I also had the advantage and um, uh, just a special honor, if you will, of speaking at Barnabas down in Newport Beach to many people there who are really, really concerned about global exploitation. And I couldn't, I'd just be remiss if I didn't stop and say a great big thank you to Pachanga Golf Tournament. That is a local Indian uh, organization here that runs this just unbelievable golf tournament. And I'm going to tell you, it is nothing short of a gift from God. I didn't even know they were thinking about us. We're not all that big. We're mighty, but we're not all that big. And our organization is Million Kids, M-I-L-L-I-O-N, because nearly, or actually well over a million kids are trafficked each year throughout the world, about 1.3 million. So our organization is Million Kids, and Pechanga picked Million Kids along with St. Jude's and the Red Cross and their Tribal Veterans Association to benefit from their golf tournament. And they called me, and it just blew me away. I didn't even know we were in the running. And yesterday, I accepted a check from them for $25,000. I'm going to tell you, folks, I'm the worst fundraiser in the whole world. This is a public benefit, 501c3. We live on your donations. And we are very, very fortunate to have churches and Christian people and just people who care, who donate to our organization on a regular basis to keep us going. 
But when they called and told us that, it's just brought me to my knees. I'm so, so grateful that they chose us. And so Susie Carpenter, who's usually with us today, won't be with us today. So uh, because she's down there today uh, thanking the people who are playing golf in 108-degree heat in, down at Pechanga in Temecula. But I really appreciate her. Hey, you can call in. This is meant to be a dialogue, not a monologue. And the call-in number is 1-866-472-5788. This show is put on by Million Kids, and I would encourage you to follow Million Kids on Facebook. Just go to Facebook, put in Million, M-I-L-L-I-O-N, Million Kids, and you will see it there and like us. And I, I really want you to do this, especially if you're outside the United States. Now, we truly appreciate everybody that's inside the United States, but if you're outside, that is really, really helpful. We are in the process of starting Million Kids Global Facebook page. It'll probably start this next week, and we're really looking for you, especially after this show, to write in and tell us who you are, where you are, and exactly what is happening in your area. And if it's too scary, if it's dangerous, email me. Email me at opal at meandkids.org. I want to tell you two cases today before we bring Skip on, because what I want to do is put a face on this. Now, our show normally deals with U.S. trafficking, as you see. And by the way, you can archive this show. I, I want to reassure you of that. Just contact me at opal at me and kids. And you can go on exploitedcrimes.org and see all the archive shows or the me and kids. Uh, excuse me, it's meandcrimes.com. Uh, and see all the archive shows. And as you know, we usually talk about child pornography or maybe the psychology of grooming or how it works with boys or gaming and like that. We do that because in the U.S., human trafficking is often based on wealth. We give our kids devices when they're 9, 10, 11 years old. Some of those devices are 300 bucks. And so we are able to provide access for our kids to the entire world, and that's how it happens. But when you get overseas, it's often based on poverty. And as Skip is about to tell you, it's going to be based on displacement, about being absolutely compromised, losing all that you own, or simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time and being vulnerable. I'm going to just read you a couple of cases here. I don't like to just read an article, but I want you to get the picture how this looks as a human being. This one here is titled Vietnamese Gang Held for Human Trafficking in Dubai. In that case, the Dubai police have busted a gang that held a, a young Vietnamese girl. Now, this girl was befriended by another friend from Dubai. Dubai. And that often happens, I'll tell you that. Uh, most of our cases, there's another woman that is doing the recruiting. This girl was 20 years old. She got a visa to visit her friend in Dubai. She was from Vietnam. However, when she showed up at the airport, the girl was not there. Instead, there were other people meeting her, and they took her and took her to an apartment. When she got there, she was locked into the apartment, and the victim then uh, realized that she had been trapped. The gang forced her or tried to force her into doing sex work. Now, this is a regular uh, a student, young lady, who simply was going on vacation there. The victim managed to get a hold of her phone, which is uh, really, really good. One of the things that we need to teach people all over the world, if you're seeing yourself becoming a victim, 
tell somebody immediately, tell them where you're at, tell them what has happened. And she got her phone, she called her parents. Well, they realized that she had done that and eventually the police were able to intercept her. But this, what I wanna share with you here is just a young girl going from one country to the other thinking she was with a friend. This is very, very important because now that the entire world is being connected by internet, what is happening is you find a newfound friend and you begin to trust them. I had a case this last week where a girl is trusting a guy that she's met on the internet from Mexico City and uh, she's never met him. And I'm saying, well, they talk on Skype, yeah, but he doesn't show his picture. Hello, red flag. This young girl's thinking of getting on a plane, going to Mexico City. She'll disappear. We will never see her. Here's a case from a lady in the UK. Now, she's from Romania, and she was just sitting in her apartment doing her homework when a neighbor knocked on her door and, and tried to get her to come to a party. She said no, and that guy grabbed her and started banging her head against the wall and uh, took her and uh, raped her and, and then began to turn her over to violent, uh, drunken strangers who began to rape her. They put her on a train and sent her to the UK. She had all of a sudden gone from a normal life in Romania to being in a sex trafficking ring in the UK. As far as her friends and family was concerned, she had just vanished. One moment she's on her way home from school, and the next minute here she is, she's on a train, and she's being sent out to do sex work in the UK. They were horrible to her. They banged her on the head, banged on the uh, wardrobe. They took her passport. She kept saying, you know, I don't want to do this. I want to go home. The more she complained, the more they beat her up. The search intensified. Eventually, her family gave up. They believed that she had just disappeared or maybe she was dead. So a girlfriend of this guy that, that came along to her all of a sudden showed up and took her. And they took her off to a brothel. And that's where she got her first death threat. She said that she could hardly eat. And that is what has happened. They will, they will sleep deprive you. They will take away food. Eventually, she arrived in a, in a brothel. And she tried her best to escape. And she got the most ferocious beating up at that point. He beat me up. He raped me. He raped me with anal sex. He beat me. He pulled my hair. He hurt my back. Sometimes he'd bang my head right on the corner of the door. And he said, here she was. They gave her this, what she called, garish underwear. She was taken to a brothel masquerading as a sauna. She tried to explain her predicament to a man, but she, she didn't speak English. And it became apparent that he didn't care. She was making around 500 pounds a day for that pimp. 500 pounds is like uh, $750 over here. So this went on for weeks and weeks and months and months. She was forced to service men 10, 15 a day. Most of them were drunk. Many of them were violent, pulled her hair, violated her, beat her. Even if they stank because they came from work, she was forced to sleep with them. Now, this is horrific. It goes on and on and on. Eventually, she got free. She was returned to her parents and like that. This is a Romanian girl who was taken over to the UK. And this is going on all around the world. And it's happening because, of, you know, especially in Eastern Europe, you have people whose whole lives are decimated and the, the law system is decimated. And so these people are trapped. We're up against a heartbreak. At the very next section now, we're bringing on Dr. Skip Lanfrey, 
and he's going to tell us what he saw in the refugee camps. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest-growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. If you have a question or comment, please send an email to opal at millionkids.org. That's O-P-A-L at millionkids.org. Now, back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton. Well, hello and welcome back, and thank you for staying with us. Before we get started in our discussion today with Skip, I want to tell you about next week's show is this afternoon. I'm leaving for Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah, I've been there several times. I love it. That's beautiful up there. And next week, I'm very, very privileged to be training the Alaska State Troopers. I see them on TV. I'm like any other groupie. They're, They're amazing people. And I can't wait to teach and talk all about human trafficking. So next week's show will be broadcast from Anchorage, Alaska. So be sure and join in with us. And be sure and call in 1-866-472-5788. So let's get on with it. We have Dr. Skip Lamford on the line with us. And Skip and his wife, Lara, Laura, sorry, I said it wrong. Anyway, just returned, coming back from Greece, and uh, Skip, join in here. I believe you were what? India, Greece, and Jordan, is that correct? I was in uh, Turkey and Jordan and Greece visiting uh-huh. refugee camps. So, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll have you stay with us the rest of the entire show, and I want to hear all about what you saw and what your opinion is 
about what's happening, and more important, can we do anything to stop it? Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me on your show, Opal. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I am someone who, although I'm a church pastor, I am committed to children and to ending the trafficking of children. Uh, We work very diligently and expansively in the nation of India as a global epicenter of child trafficking, but also, of course, have... uh, it's coming to our view, and we've begun to pay attention to this refugee crisis. Uh, it's it's a, a massive issue. Over 65 million people have been forcibly displaced worldwide from their homes, and about 21 million, just over 21 million of those, have had to leave their home countries and are in other mostly neighboring nations living as refugees, and, and over half of that number are children. And as we know, children are vulnerable in the developed world, in the developing world, and are incredibly vulnerable when they are on the move as refugees, and oftentimes a lot of them separated from their parents. Skip, let me stop you there. You said 65 million, then 21 million are displaced. Is that what you're saying? Well, 65 million have been forced to leave their homes. Uh, All of these... This information and even more is available on the United Nations Refugee Agency website, which is UNHC, as in Charlie R. dot org, UNHCR dot org. But of the 65 million that have been forcibly displaced, uh, about 40, 44 million of them are displaced within their own country, and 21, over 21 million have had to leave their country of yeah. origin and are now seeking refuge in other nations. So they are the classically termed global refugees, and it's the largest human displacement that we have ever seen in history. And uh, these 21.3 or so million refugees is, is the largest refugee crisis that we have faced in recorded history. Skip, I'm trying to figure out what 21 million looks like. I don't know the population of New York or L.A., but... Uh, 21 million. How do you even visualize 21 million? Yeah. That, that would be nearly um, the, a tenth of the whole United States. Yes, that's that's it, it's an incredibly large number of people, and you know these refugees um, have left their homelands because they didn't have another option, and that's the horrific part of it. Uh, they're not leaving because. They are, you know, seeking uh, a better future. A lot of the, we, we hear the news a lot about the nation of Syria and the incredible conflict that's happening in Syria. And I spent time with a lot of different Syrian refugees and uh, learned quite a bit about this little nation of Syria that I didn't know anything about. Uh, just a couple of things to help people connect those dots. Syria um, was classically a middle-class nation, it was uh, not an impoverished nation. It was a nation that uh, people were able to get educated and develop jobs and develop businesses. And so I sat in these desolate refugee camps uh, speaking with both men and women who fled from Syria, who left homes that they owned, uh, vehicles. One man had uh, three children. He owned his home. He owned three vehicles. He uh, was university educated. He was an entrepreneur and had a technology company. Uh, his oldest son, he had sent to get educated in London. And uh, his oldest son 
uh, I think is 21 years old, was at that point in time working as a graphic designer in the country of Germany. But uh, with so much war and conflict, uh, you know, everybody in his city, they were being attacked and so many people were dying. He sent his wife and his youngest daughter to the, the country of Lebanon because they could find safe haven there. Meanwhile, he and his 13-year-old son stayed back to try and, you know, maintain the business and maintain the house. And uh, it got to the point where there was so much devastation, so much war in their neighborhood that they either had to stay and die or flee and live. And so they took, you know, basically the clothes on their back, a little backpack, each of them, and fled their home. And that's what it looks like to be a refugee uh, someone with an education and uh, and a middle class income forced to leave their home and their homeland because of dramatic destruction and warfare. That's just you know, people. We just really can't visualize what that looks like and how that might feel. I mean, you lose everything, and because I work with child exploitation, I think how vulnerable that thirteen year old boy is. First of all, for recruitment into um, extremism, recruitment into being forced probably to make a choice. On top of it, you get any child that's that um, has no resources, and they are vulnerable, whether it's male or female. So uh, you know that lose everything, separate from your family. Don't know if you'll ever get back to each other. Don't know if you'll be able to get out of that that nation or even out of that camp and then constantly be unsafe on your personal being and unsafe for your children. Uh, I I would assume that that there probably is, when you get into mass camps like that, that that there's violation of children that go on in there. Oh, absolutely. And if you think about it, it, these, these over 21 million global refugees, over half of that number are children. Now, the majority of refugees... Uh, within that that statistic would be women and children because by and large the young men and the men stay back as even as this this father and his 13 year old son did they stay back in their nation of origin to try and either protect their their personal you know property or to fight on behalf of their people uh, typically you know a lot of these Middle Eastern refugees are um, being displaced because of the the traumatic work of ISIS and all of the uh, warfare that's happening between ISIS and its counterparts and local governments and and um, Syria is a little bit of a unique situation because you have the Syrian government that is attacking its people and you also have ISIS attacking its people and then you have ISIS and the Syrian government fighting each other and they're backed by other nations and so it's a it's just a massive catastrophe. Uh, in that nation uh, in and of itself. But you also have all of the Iraqis where we've had the war going on in Iraq for you know over a decade and there's just so many towns that have been completely devastated um, in that nation. I met a woman who, when b- before the warfare started, there were 250,000 people in her, in her city. And by the time she fled, there were only about 7,000 people oh. left living in her city. And such utter destruction that they're, you know, they really didn't have a choice but to flee. You know, whenever I hear things like that, I try to understand how this feels. Uh, I do that because of the fact that, as you know, I look at every human trafficking case in America every day and every child pornography case, and now because of Million Kids Global, I'm looking at, at quite a bit of the global cases. 
And I, I put myself in that position, and you think, how would you do here uh, in this kind of thing? You think, you know, you see your city deteriorating, you, you hear the politics. I mean, most of us are disgusted with the politics in our own country, mm-hmm. you know, right now. And you see the politics of that going on, and you say, well, maybe this will turn around. You know, uh, I'll send my wife away and so that she'll be safe. I'll send my son mm-hmm. to college. I'll... Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna defend my my income because it's my only income. You have this identity that you're trying to perpetrate, and mm-hmm. you know so you keep negotiating with. Okay, I'll give this up, but not this. I'll give this up, but not this. And, and then one day, in their lives, they have they know it's flee or be killed or be decimated. And then you get mm-hmm. into these camps and realize all of a sudden you've negotiated your own safety and the safety of your child as you're trying to survive. And and so now you're not trying to keep material possessions, you're trying to keep your children from being violated and, and people from being killed. And you just, uh, you know, we can't conceive what that's like. Uh, we're right here in Southern California and we have these big fires not far from where I'm at. And uh, something like 80,000 people have raced from their homes and evacuated and I, immediately think what's important what's important you know and the bottom line is all that's important is your life mm-hmm. and and you know turning to god and understanding that that some that god is the answer to all of this and being able to help you because you know once you go down the route of the material possessions and you lose your whole life then you start to turn away and you go what now uh, as as you make these immediate decisions of up until now, you, you have this kind of hierarchy of needs, and then it's survival. And I just can't even imagine how that looked. I mean, just getting food and protecting what little you have. Uh, I, I would assume whatever you have, you keep on your person because it'll be stolen. Yeah. It's a pretty horrific situation. We, As we were in the nations of Turkey and Jordan and Greece, uh, we had set forth a plan to visit as many of the refugee camps as possible, and the conditions are, are very horrific in a lot of the camps, and uh, some of the, the nations where these camps are located are, have gone into great instability. I mean, uh, we left Turkey, and uh, about 10 hours after we flew out of the Ataturk airport, that airport was bombed, and then, you know, a week later, there was a, an attempted coup, and and so... Turkey, which is hosting about two and a half million refugees, has so many issues that, uh, you know, I, I think at this point their, the refugee crisis that they've been trying to assist with from their neighboring nations is uh, a low priority. And, and hey, people... Skip. Hey, yes. Skip, let me interrupt you a minute. We're up against a hard break, and I want to really get into Turkey and Greece in the sure. next section. So stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers. It's the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. If you have a question or comment, please send an email to opal at millionkids.org. That's O P A L at millionkids.org. Now, back to Exploited. Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton. Well, hello and welcome back. Thanks for staying with us. We had a fascinating last section and the next one's going to be good too. We have Dr. Skip Lamford on the air with us and you can call in at 1-866-472-5788. Although I'm going to tell you, I'm just eating up everything he says here, so I want him to keep going. He just returned from Jordan, and he's now going to talk about Turkey and Greece, and he's been talking about the refugee crisis in Syria and that he went into the camps. So this will be archived. By the way, your church can archive these shows. Just contact me at Opal at Me and Kids, and we'll get them archived on your website so you can share them with all your churches and all your church members and especially your missionaries. This goes out to 170 countries, so contact us. Email me, uh, you know, contact me through Facebook. But I want to get back to Skip now. We're going to talk about he went into Turkey and Greece. I think that's right, what he said. Mm-hmm. So, Skip, you want to take it over from here and tell us what you saw there? Sure. So... Turkey and uh, and I was in Turkey, Jordan, and Greece. Uh, Greece is sort of the the portal, the entry place, but uh, that was the last stop on our journey. We began in Turkey, which uh, we began there because they have taken in about two and a half million of these refugees, and uh, they were, you know, a, an open portal for refugees to gain entry into Western Europe. 
and so they have taken in quite a few, and, and the Turkish government actually was very favorable towards the refugees because they uh, were aware in, in a way that, uh, similar to the United States government from a couple of decades ago, was aware that, that uh, you know, our country was built on the back of immigrants who came and, and made this their homeland. And so Turkey welcomed the global refugees and uh, allowed them immigrant status in, in order to bolster their, um, you know, their, their equipped uh, population in the cities of Turkey. Uh, again, a lot of the refugees, they're not all coming from third world situations where they're um, incredibly poor and incredibly uneducated. A lot of them are very educated and very uh, entrepreneurial and, and really hard workers. So, so Turkey uh, was welcoming the refugees. I think that, that this has become such a massive crisis that most or maybe at this point all of the receiving countries, the countries that were welcoming the refugees, have stemmed or stopped the, uh, that process. There, there was a big shift uh, for the EU in March of this year. I think it was March 17th, where after the 17th, if you arrived into a United Nations country, you could no longer emigrate to any other open countries. They all sort of hit their cap and said, after March 17th, we're not taking any more. And so then that's actually what created the refugee camp crisis. Uh, the camps initially were places of temporary housing for refugees to come in, and, and the process was that if you wanted to, if you had to flee your country and you were going to choose to go to a uh, uh, European uh, nation, a Western European nation, then you would arrive into uh, an EU country like Greece or like Turkey where you would register and then you would file basically an application to move to Germany, which was a very, very popular and welcoming place, uh, you know, or Italy or Spain or France or the UK. And then if you were approved after, say, four days to two or three weeks, you would get moved up to your, the nation you wanted to immigrate to, and then that whole process would start. Uh, you'd get refugee status, which would allow you to apply for citizenship and all that stuff. So after the March 17th deadline, when the nation hosting nation said, we're full, we've hit our limit, people got stuck in the refugee camps because, of mm -hmm. course, information wasn't traveling to these areas of crisis. And so they were still trying to come. They were trying to maybe join family members or what have you. And so we have these, these camps now that are full. Every camp we went to, the, the majority, vast majority, were, were women and children. Uh, some of the camps were more than 50% children. Wow. And unaccompanied children. They're, they're, it's, it's completely horrific, um, the level of vulnerability that both the women and the children, but, of course, my emphasis especially has been to try and see what's happening with these children. But the level of vulnerability is just extreme for these kids and these women. I can't even imagine, Skip. I mean, I can't even imagine. Uh, you know, how do, the, how do the children process it? There isn't anybody there looking out for them and uh, guiding them and, and like that or protecting them or giving them sage advice uh, to not make poor decisions. And, you know, kids are a vulnerable child in a camp like that. Oh, my gosh. And, and so many. So, so what is being done? I mean, uh, 
are there leaders? Are there, you know, are there people that are making attempt to keep them safe? Uh, if they're stuck in that camp, they can't go backward. They can't go forward. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not getting any education. I don't know. You know, they're probably stealing food wherever they can get it. That's that's what a child would do. It's survival. But uh, I mean, where does this end? Where does this go? That's actually the hard part of the story, Opal. It's still in the middle of such a state of crisis that the the, the people that are in the camps, the children in the camps, they are very stuck. Uh, and we we know that tens of thousands of children have already gone missing. Your you may have to increase your million kids to you know two million kids or something like that, or three million kids because this this crisis. You know, if if over 10 million of our global refugees are children, and a lot of them unaccompanied. Um, they are being uh, they're being you know grabbed and nabbed and um, and moved wherever traffickers want to take them. They the traffickers obviously are aware of these vulnerable children. I think more aware than um, the you know uh, conscientious citizens in most nations, because a lot of us would tend to think of whether or not we want to receive refugees from, you know, kind of a more self-centered perspective rather than from the perspective of this is a crisis about children. And so if we're not thinking about this crisis in that way, we're thinking, oh, can we afford to, you know, give up jobs? Can we afford to create jobs for refugees and so forth? So we're, we're looking, I think that the, my experience as a result of this trip is that the world is looking at this crisis through the, the wrong lens. Um, especially the citizens of the U.S. Um, so I think that the crisis um, for the children is they're very stuck, they're very vulnerable. Uh, some of the camps actually take children and they put them in a more secure area, which is in a lot of, in a lot of ways even worse for the children. Uh, one of the camps we were at on the island of Lesbos in Greece where there's, there are, I think, about, um, I don't know, I mean tens of thousands of people just stuck in camps they, uh, this camp was a former high-security prison, and what used to be kind of the maximum security area is where they put all of the unaccompanied children. So now, you know, if you're in a camp situation, you're, you might be living in tents, and, but you're waiting in line for everything you need, bathrooms, food, what have you, but at least there's a little bit of a freedom of movement. But if you're in uh, what used to be a, a prison, and if you're in the high-security block, locked up, completely separated from everyone for, for your own safety. I mean, imagine what the life is like for those children. Uh, yeah, and again, a couple, yes. A couple of things come to mind here, Skip. I, you know, I, I've been in this business way too long, maybe. But, you know, I, I look at this and I know, especially in third world countries and the work that I did out of Cambodia and, and like that, you get an older child, let's say mm-hmm. 13, 14, 15, and you put them around younger children, and they need to make money. They need to be able to, to do something. Older children violate younger children, and um, and that happens. The other thing I'm thinking when you tell me about this, and I, I tell you, I, I, even though you and I had talked before, it wasn't until I just start hearing this, the power of all of this. Think about that. For every child that's out there, somewhere there's probably a parent trying just out of their mind wondering where that child is because I mean I sat with parents of missing kids here in the US who just decide to get in the car and go off and find their newfound love 
And I don't believe there's anything more excruciating for a parent than not knowing where your child is, if they're safe, if they're alive, if they're being violated, if they are eating, you know, like that. So, I mean, there are many facets to this thing, but, you know, having a child live, you know, if you have younger children living with older children and they can't get away, the the possibilities of that, I, I just, I'm sorry, I guess I know way too much about this, but that is just True. sickening. True, and it's unfortunate as well because I, I, I don't want to make any accusations, but I am aware that they're the care, caregivers or the protectors of these children in these refugee camps are made up of um, a... Are, are made up of groups of security officers and police uh, personnel that come in in one or two or three week stints from a variety of different nations, uh, partly because these host nations don't have enough of a, their own police force to do this. And so again, these are United Nations run uh, refugee camps, and so we get we get adults from a wide variety of backgrounds, and some of them are going to have the wrong background and the wrong interests and. Uh, and there's there's just there's even massive potential for severe abuse from the only uh, protecting adults that uh, are running around trying to you know oversee these kids that are that are stuck in these camps. So again, I'm not trying to make specific accusations, but I am saying that is a severe concern that I walked away with as I experienced this because here we have you know temporary adults temporarily interacting with these kids at risk. That is a very valid concern. You know, much of Southeast Asia, when after the Vietnam War, they brought in peacekeepers, and many of them were very, very good people, but many of them were from third world countries, and they were paying them $125 a day, and these people had never had that kind of money. And quite frankly, that's how the child sex tourism started in Southeast Asia. And so I think, you know, while we we don't want to lump everybody together, because I'm sure there are some very good people there with very valid concerns and willingness to do right, it is a concern. Hey, we're up against a hard break again, so we're going to break and we'll be right back and we're going to talk about what can we do about this to change this. So stay with us, Skip, and you guys out there, thanks for sticking with us. We'll be right back. Thanks. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. 
Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to exploited crimes against humanity if you have a question or comment please send an email to opal at millionkids.org. that's o-p-a-l at millionkids.org. now back to exploited crimes against humanity here again is opal singleton Well, thanks for staying with us and coming back. This is a fascinating conversation we're having with Dr. Skip Lanfred. He's from your Belinda French Church, and he's been over in Jordan, in Turkey, and Greece, looking through and meeting up with people in the refugee camps. Now, this show goes out to 170 countries, and we do want to encourage you. We are building Million Kids Global on our Facebook page. But for right now, you can go on to Million Kids Facebook. That's M-I-L-L-I-O-N, Million Kids, because a million kids are trafficked each year throughout the world. That's our name. But I want to hear from you out there. If you're from any foreign country, I want to hear from you from the U.S. too, but if you're from any foreign country, write to us. You can either write to me at opal at millionkids.org or go on Facebook and tell us who you are, what you're seeing, and what is being done about it or not being done about it, or should be being done about it. We want to build a global Internet community. So, Skip, let's uh, pick up here. You were telling us about this situation. What is your vision? What Do you have any ideas? I mean, this just sounds absolutely devastating to have millions and millions and millions of women and children locked into refugee camps. They can't go back. They can't go forward. And the children are separated, and they're extremely vulnerable. Do you have any feelings whatsoever, any concept of what either you can do or what my audience can do as we approach this? Well, first, as a, as a follower of Jesus and a pastor in a local church, I have, uh, I have, I, I feel strong conviction that the church in its many incarnations throughout the world needs to be at the center of the response to this global refugee crisis. Um, it is the church that should be living out the teachings of Jesus who we follow. Uh, the, the, the teachings of Jesus tell us to um, do unto others as we would have them do unto us, tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, you know, Jesus tells stories to instruct his followers about even defining, you know, who is my neighbor. It's, it's the person who is in need amongst us. He talks strongly in, in Matthew chapter 25 when uh, he's talking about sort of the, the, the kingdom of heaven and what does that look like and how the king is going to welcome those in to his kingdom who, um, in Matthew, it's 32 through 40, but um, where, the, where his followers, you know, put clothes on the needy and cared for the sick and welcomed the refugees and the foreigners among them and... Um, and so Jesus is really clear that we're supposed to respond to times of crisis. And one of the things that um, I saw in these nations is I saw people in the local churches 
stepping up and responding. Um, there's sort of two paths that you can go down. You can either, you know, shut your doors and keep people that are different from you that um, might uh, might challenge your uh, distribution of your resources that you have on hand out um, and hope that someone else will help them, or you can respond to those in need around you, to those in crisis around you. And the churches that we saw responding to these refugees, it was just absolutely beautiful. Um, in Lebanon, <coughs> there, Lebanon um, is host, or I'm sorry, in Jordan rather, Jordan is hosting about uh, 650,000 refugees, and it's a fairly small population in the nation of Jordan. So I think it's like maybe one out of every five person living in the nation of Jordan right now is a, is a, is a refugee from another nation. Wow. In one town um, up near the border of Syria that we were at, and we could literally hear, it's close enough where you can hear the bombs um, happening, the, the, the bombs that are destroying the cities of Syria. Uh, it's about, uh, I think it was maybe 18 or 20 miles away. So we're at this area where all these refugees were, and um, when the Christians initially pulled together food resources and just started trying to feed the refugees the first time they went into this one area, the, uh, the, the refugees, uh, who are primarily Muslim, started throwing rocks at them and, and stoning the Christians and chasing them away. And, um, and then the second time that they came back, the refugees came with great apology, and they said... Um, we're so sorry, we, you greeted us with bread and, and food, and we greeted you with stones, and would you forgive us? And, and now this, um, the, these churches are just responding in, a, in such a powerful way, and, and people are, are, that are coming from these, these nations where you know, the Christian church uh, in some ways doesn't exist at all, and, and in other ways exists in a very, very tiny, tiny microscopic way, these people are being exposed to the face of Jesus and the love of God through these courageous Christ followers um, who are responding and really doing what our scriptures call us to do in these situations. So the hope is that the church would respond, um, not just in the host nations, but globally. So are they like providing them with food and clothing and that kind of thing until they can get processed legally? Is it you know, being able to move along? Is that what a church is doing there, or, or what are you seeing? Yeah, so, um, and really the, the, the brightest spot in our trip was our time in the nation of Jordan, which is ironic because it is a Muslim nation, but, um, but there's a, it's, it's also a nation that um, has a, a greater level of religious freedom than some of the other um, nations around that in that Middle Eastern area. And so we saw that, that uh, the church did a few different things. Um, first of all, they began just by providing food and food supplements. Um, the United Nations is working really diligently. Um, Salvation Army is just an absolute global champion in this effort. So there are some major organizations, um, World Relief, that are, that are doing all, almost all of them Christian, except the United Nations, of course, which is a non, non-religious organization, that are providing sort of the basics, you know, the basic um, tents, basic food, things like that. But it's, it's, it's not nearly enough. And so we saw the churches coming up, uh, standing up and, and putting together supplemental resources, milk, cheese, bread, things that, um, um, that would allow the families to have 
you know, enough sustenance, um, blankets for bedding in the, in the winter, uh, clothing, some of these very, very practical needs. And then as the refugees from March, you know, 17th onward were getting stuck in these areas, the churches began to shift and try and work towards an empowerment model of ministry, meaning, you know, the refugees are not allowed to work so they, the churches tried to come up with some things that the refugees could do. And actually a lot of the refugees, especially coming out of Iraq, are Christians themselves. And, uh, and so the churches started putting together little community centers where refugees could gather, form relationships, and, uh, and begin to do um, creation of little you know, artsy projects and, and uh, jewelry products and so forth that the churches would put up for sale to whoever would buy them in, in other areas. So we, we left Jordan, and then we uh, connected with one of those churches, and, and we spent about $3,000 to buy these. They, they call them noon tiles that the Iraqi Christians make. It's the letter N and uh, in, in the Iraqi language, and the letter N stands for Nazarene, which is what the Christians are called in that area. And then we're reselling them to our church members, um, whoever would want to buy them, and then that money goes to provide some supplemental income, legal su- supplemental income to the Jordanian, uh, the, the refugees in Jordan. So skip on wanna... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I just... to the end here, oh. so go ahead. Yeah. I just want to say one last thing. As uh, it, it was really, one of the most difficult things for me was not only being exposed to this, but being an American in the midst of this, because... We are, we are not, uh, as a nation, I believe, responding appropriately. We, uh, we took in 70,000 refugees in 2015 out of the 21 million. Uh, it's, it's a very paltry sum. Um, you know, in our country, we hear a lot of fear about all of these male refugees that are really jihadis in disguise. That is not what we encountered. That is not what is, is happening in the world. These are women. These are children. And we should be, I think responding differently. Well, thank you, Skip. I really appreciate your participation here. I, uh, Those of you in the audience, if you want to donate for this project to support the work of Skip and uh, that church, you can donate to Million Kids at millionkids.org and market refugees, and we'll get there get that uh, donation off to them. Well, we're out of time, but I want to remind you to be sure and follow us next week. We will be broadcasting from Alaska, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. So be sure and follow us at Me and Kids Facebook. Thank you, Dr. Skip Lamphering. And we'll see you next, well, okay, we'll hear from you next week. Thanks so much for joining us. And please, if you want to support Skip's work, you can donate to Me and Kids Market Refugees and we'll get it to him and they'll get it out to Jordan. Thank you much. Bye. Thank you for tuning in this week to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Please join your host, Opal Singleton, for another edition next Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have another important discussion next week.